Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. As always, we appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire. You can hear this every week at this same time. And we want you to call in and ask your Bible questions, make your Bible comments. Um, we can be wrong. We're just, I'm just a man, just like anybody else. God is the authority on religion, on Christianity. We have God's word, John 17, 17. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And then he says in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Talking about being made free from sin. So the only way we're going to be made free from sin is by following the truth. And the truth is defined by God's word, not what we think. Not God revealing something to us directly. He doesn't do that. He doesn't tell us what parking spot to take at the Walmart, at Walmart. What he does is he reveals his truth to everybody equally. He's no respecter of persons. That's through that one written standard of the Bible. So we want to entertain your Bible questions or comments. The only rule is the Bible decides what's right because that's God's word. That's only, I'm sure you understand that and you agree with that because that's just recognizing God as our authority. If he's our authority, then we don't get to decide what we're going to do in religion. He decides what, how, what we should do in Christianity. And that is defined by his word, John 17, 17. It decides all issues, all questions pertaining to religion. It doesn't tell you that force equal mass times acceleration. It's not intended to tell you everything about science, though it does touch on science and things like that every now and then. But it tells us everything we need to know to serve the Lord faithfully, everything. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Bible tells us everything we need to know to be pleasing to God. So if you have a Bible question or comment, you just give us a call at 877-655-6755. We've been talking about instructions that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're just going down straight through there. The next one we're on is Luke 636, where Jesus said, Be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. We've got to learn to be merciful. Else, God's not going to show us mercy. For example, we read Matthew 6, 14, and 15, where Jesus said this, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we have to be willing to forgive others if we want men, God, excuse me, to forgive us. The implication is if we're not willing to forgive others, God's not going to be willing to forgive us. That's an absolute. God's never going to forgive us, even when we're becoming a Christian. But especially even after we're a Christian, when we sin, God's not going to forgive us if we're not willing to forgive others. That's an absolute. So you got to be merciful, even as God is merciful. Now, we're talking about Matthew 6, how we have to be willing to forgive others. Or they or God won't forgive us. There is a caveat or an exception to that. It's Luke 17, 3. Jesus said, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. So we see the caveat to Matthew 6 is Luke 17, 3. You can't forgive somebody unless they repent. That would be giving them a false hope of salvation. That'd be like telling them that they're okay with God when they're not okay with God. Now, the fact that we're not to forgive them until they repent doesn't mean we hold bitterness in our heart toward them. 
doesn't mean we hold a grudge or anything like that. That's not what it means at all. We should never hold a grudge. We should never be bitter towards somebody. We should never have hateful thoughts towards somebody or hateful attitude towards somebody. That's not it at all. It just means, according to Luke 17, 3, he said, if he sins against you, rebuke him. If you repent, forgive him. It means you keep on rebuking him as you have opportunity until he repents. Then you forgive him, and that means you stop rebuking rebuking him. It doesn't, as I said, doesn't mean you hold a grudge against him while you're waiting on him to repent. It just means you keep rebuking him as you have opportunity. Once he repents, you forgive him. That means you quit rebuking him. There's nothing to rebuke him for. He's been, he's repented. He's been forgiven. How about Matthew 6, 33, next on my list, another instruction of Jesus. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, in the context of Matthew 6, 19 through 34, he's talking about worrying too much about the necessities of life and so forth. Perhaps your food or clothing or shelter. You could worry so much about that that you could drive yourself into a mental frenzy. He's saying, no. He gives the, you know, the bird doesn't worry about where he's getting, what's going to happen with him or the flowers of the field, yet God takes care of them. He's certainly going to take care of you. And he tells us a condition, though. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, meaning the necessities of life, shall be added to you. Now, he didn't promise here he'll make you rich, that you'll live in the lap of luxury, but he promises that if you'll seek him first, he'll make sure the necessities of life are added unto you. Now, here's the point of that. Don't let the pursuit of the necessities of life, like money and the things that money will buy, don't let the pursuit of them get in the way of you serving the Lord. That's really the point of this verse. If you'll seek God first, God will make sure you get all these other things. See, But a lot of people put the pursuit of money and material possessions ahead of God. They miss church, for example, for work. Or they work so much they neglect their families or neglect the service of God, trying to do personal evangelism. Or they neglect reading their Bibles regularly or and uh, and uh, uh, praying simply because they're so involved in the pursuit of money and the things that money will buy. They need to learn that money and these material possessions are just a tool to the end. The goal, the end, is to go to heaven. That's the, really the reason we work to provide for our families and to help those less fortunate than we are. Ephesians 4, 28 and 29, because we want to go to heaven. And if you're working so hard or so much or you're being dishonest in your work so that you're not going to heaven, you miss the very point of why you work. The main point of why you work is so you can be pleasing to God. And so you can help propagate the gospel and help needy Christians with your with your finances. If you have a Bible question or comment, I want you to give me a call at 877 877- 655 Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus says this. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. You know, this is a very comforting verse. A lot of people want to, they, they believe something like once saved, always saved. Because that's what they want to believe. It's wishful thinking. They they want to have confidence in their salvation, so they believe a false doctrine, like once saved, always saved, so they'll have a confidence in their salvation, but that's a false confidence. Matthew 7, 7 
is explaining the true way to have confidence in your salvation. It's not that God's going to overlook sin. That's not it at all. You always have to repent of your sins in order to be forgiven for them. But if you will seek God and put him first as far as seeking him, God is guaranteeing here you'll find him. If you want to know the truth bad enough, God is guaranteeing you'll find the truth. If you want to be saved bad enough, God is guaranteeing that you will be saved. He doesn't do it through overlooking sin. He does it through the fact that you're seeking him. You're wanting to learn, and he's going to make sure that you learn the truth so that you can follow the truth and not false doctrine. People that are just satisfied in their false doctrine, they're not willing to be diligent in studying the word of God to find out the truth. Of course, they're not going to find the truth. They're not asking for, they're not seeking, they're not knocking. You know, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So you know how it is when you get hungry or thirsty, you just, you're desperate to get food or water or something to drink. You need to be desperate about searching for the truth. You need to be desperate about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And if you do, you'll be filled with righteousness. That's a guarantee. It's not that God's going to overlook sin. It's just that if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled with it. You'll find it. You'll get it. That's how we have assurance of salvation. Seek and you shall find. You know, Matthew 7, 12 is the next passage on my list. There, there Jesus says this. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do you even so to them? For this is the law and the prophets. What do we call that? We call it the golden rule. As far as I know, Jesus is the one that came up with this golden rule, this brilliant rule. We call it the golden rule. Maybe we ought to, it's brilliant. You don't do unto others as they do unto you. You do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The way you wish they would treat you, you treat them that way. If you'll do that, then you'll satisfy all the demands of God's law on how to treat others. If you'll just treat them the way you want to be treated. Just think what this world would be like if everybody did that. Treated others like they wanted to be treated. What a great rule that Jesus comes up with here. As I said, it's brilliant. It's amazing. As a matter of fact, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, of course, I, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the most complete recording of it is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Matthew 7, 12 is part of that. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They were astonished. It's amazing teachings like this in Matthew 7, 12, the golden rule, which would be astonishing, would be amazing, I think. And then, of course, he taught them as one having authority. He had more authority than I do. I have to quote book, chapter, and verse, cite book, chapter, and verse to prove that what I'm saying is the truth. Jesus didn't have to do that. He did it a lot, but he didn't need to. He's God himself. He's the originator of God's word, scripture. Jesus' teaching is astonishing or amazing. And Matthew 7, 27, 12, the golden rule is a perfect example of that. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755, 877-655-6755. How about Matthew 7, 13 and 14? Here Jesus says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. 
and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So we're talking about, if you want to go to heaven, just remember that it's a straight way, a narrow way. Few are going to find it. But the way to everlasting punishment, the way to be lost, is broad. It's wide. A lot of people are going that way. You know, the lesson we ought to learn from this, I think, you need to be diligent in your service to the Lord because only a few people are going to be saved relatively. I mean, it might be a million people, but that's going to be few compared with all the people who are going to be lost. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Talking about pleasing to God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We've got to diligently seek him. Not just seek him halfway, but diligently seek him. And you ought to be able to learn that from Matthew 7, 13 and 14, which says few are going to be saved because straight is the way, narrow is the way to life. Broad is the way to the bad place. A lot of people are going that way. Better be diligent or you're going up with the with the many and not the few. And then Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in Hades, in everlasting punishment, actually. Don't have a friend, uh, Carol Sutton, that used to say this. He used to say, why are we worried about what humans can do to us? The worst they can do to us is kill us. Don't fear a human, the worst he can do is hurt you or kill you. You should fear God. Fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in everlasting punishment. That's the one that we should fear. Fear, sometimes people say, are we supposed to be scared of God? Well, I, I like to illustrate it this way. W with my dad, my dad was a pretty tough disciplinarian when I was growing up. If I did something wrong, I was getting a pretty bad spanking. Okay, It hurt. I didn't like it. Guess what? He never spanked me, though, because he had a bad day at work or something like that. It's always because I deserved it. As long as I was obeying my dad as a, as a boy growing up, I wasn't scared of my dad. I had a healthy respect for him, but I wasn't scared because I knew he wasn't, he wasn't going to spank me just because he had a bad day at work. But if I did something wrong, maybe I was trying to get away with it, hope he didn't find out about it. I, had to, I was scared of him because I knew if he found out about it, I was going to get a spanking and it was going to hurt. That's the same way with God, really. As long as you are doing what God says, living the faithful Christian life, there's nothing to be scared of. God's just going to be grand as heaven, grand as paradise. Just have a healthy respect for him. But if you're not living the faithful Christian life, you should be scared out of your boots because look what's going to happen to you after you die. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. The lines are wide open. 877 655-6755-877-655-6755. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Had an incident, incident recently in, in my life where I felt like I had to speak up for Jesus. I had to confess him before men. I felt the pressure to do it, and I did. And I'm so glad that I did. If you don't confess Jesus before men, he's not going to confess you before his Father in heaven. If you don't stand up for Jesus in this life, even before other Christians, 
who are speaking negatively about God or his way, Christ or his way. You need to speak up for Jesus or Jesus is not going to speak up for you when the time comes. It's pretty simple. You have to follow Jesus and his teachings or Jesus will not confess you before the father when it comes time for Jesus to say who's going to heaven or not. Get that? How about John 7, 24? Jesus said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, a lot of people look at Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not lest you be judged to say absolutely never should you judge, criticize somebody else. That's not what he's talking about at all. He talks about getting this big old plank out of your eye so that you can see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. He wants you to help correct people if they're uh, not living right. But you got to get your life right first so that you can do it correctly. And this verse helps us to see that all judging is not wrong. He tells us, he commands us in John 7, 24 to judge others. But don't do it according to appearance. Judge righteous judgment. How could you do it according to appearance? Well, how about this? The first thing that comes to my mind is racial discrimination. If I judge... I'm Caucasian. If I judge a person simply because his skin is black, that's judging according to appearance. That's not judging righteous judgment. Or if a black person judges me in a negative way simply because I'm white. Or if we judge somebody in a negative way based on how much money they have. That's wrong, according to James 2, 1 through 9. Or what social standing they have. Or their gender, male or female. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Here's how Peter put this in Acts 10, 34 and 35. He says, well, it's, it's said about Peter. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation that matter whether your ancestors from Africa or from Europe, in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. You don't judge according to appearance. People are going to be judged by God based on whether or not they fear him and work righteousness. And that's the only thing we should judge others based upon, whether or not they fear God and work righteousness. Again, it has nothing to do with skin color or things, superficial things like that that don't matter. And a lot of times people don't even have a choice about. And it, it just doesn't matter. Yet people get so hung up on race. But Jesus says, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. Here's a verse that we quote, a passage that we quote a lot on this program, John 8, 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, there's a lot of people out here claiming to be Jesus' disciples. They claim to be Christians. They claim to be followers of Christ. But Jesus said, you're only a true disciple if you continue in my word. And then if you do that, you'll know the truth. The truth shall make you free, meaning false teaching won't make you free from sin. What about a person that says he's a disciple of Christ, but maybe says he's even a preacher, but he preaches it's okay to be gay. Gay gay marriage is okay. 
Is he continuing in the word of Christ? No, of course not. Let me read to you Romans 1, 26 and 27. Jesus said, for this cause, God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use of that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which is meet. It's sinful to be a homosexual. You can be forgiven if you repent. If a person says it's okay to be gay, they're not continuing in the word of Christ. And therefore, they're not, they may claim to be a disciple of Christ, but they're not truly his disciple. What about a church that allows women to preach from the pulpit? I'm told about three, about 75% of them in the United States and Canada allow a woman to preach from the pulpit. But 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Ugh, very clear. I'm not sure there's a passage in the Bible that's more clear on any subject than this passage is on the women preachers issue. It's not ambiguous. It says three times women shouldn't do it. When the whole church has come together in one place, verse 23, the women are not to speak, much less to deliver the sermon. So if you're part of a church that allows women to preach from the pulpit, then you're not continuing in the word of Christ and you're not a true disciple. Or what about a church that practices, sprinkles babies for baptism? Well, Romans 6 says we're buried with him, with Christ by baptism. When somebody dies, we take them out the graveyard and bury them. That doesn't mean we sprinkle a little dirt on their head. It means we put them all the way up under the ground. We know what buried means. So if we're going to bury somebody in baptism, that's going to mean that we not that we sprinkle a little dirt on their head, but that we put them all the way up under the ground. We bury them in baptism. Not very hard to understand, but a lot of people just think it doesn't matter. How about infant baptism? Well, Philip's preaching Jesus to the eunuch in Acts 8, 35. It says, as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, Thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So the eunuch wants to be baptized. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. May what? May be baptized. Well, clearly then that implies that if you don't believe, you may not be baptized. So this verse, along with a, a number of other ones, teaches that infant baptism is unscriptural. Well, a lot of churches practice sprinkling of babies for baptism. Are they continuing in the word of Christ when they do so? No. Therefore, John 8, 31 is teaching they're not truly Jesus' disciples. They may claim to be a disciple of Christ, but they're not a true disciple of Christ. And since they're not following the truth, they're not going to be made free from their sin by the truth. 32 says the truth will make you free. Not following these false teachings of men, that won't make you free from sin. We're about to run out of time. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877- 655-6755. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Yeah, that's what, that's what most people think today. You know, the guy who dies with the most toys wins. That's the way a lot of people approach it. It seems like their whole deal is to pursue money and the things that money will buy. Jesus says, beware of covetousness. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things 
which he possesseth. But that seems to be the number one thing for most people, to get as much money as they can in this life, instead of trying to serve the Lord faithfully. Well, we're going to have to go off the air in about 30 seconds. We appreciate you listening. Hope you'll listen every week at this same time. As I usually offer, I would like to offer again tonight, if you would like to study the Bible with me by phone, free of charge, at some time that's convenient for you, I want you to give me a call or text me after this program is over. The number to call is 256-682-9753. So if you'd like to have a free Bible study with me over the phone, sometime at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Appreciate you listening this evening. And don't forget 2 John, verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. If we're not abiding in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, we don't have God, we can't be saved.